morning. It's always a privilege to share God's Word with God's people, and I thank Tracy and Brother Allen for the opportunity to speak at this conference and share the pulpit with some great men of God. It's humbling. Uh, I shared with everyone yesterday, but for those of you that don't know, three and a half weeks ago I was driving a dump truck and the clutch exploded and the pressure plate came through the floorboard and knocked a hole in my leg the size of a lady softball and crushed about four inches of bone. And uh, so that's why I'm in a wheelchair up here. They've done plastic surgery and on the hole and when that all heals, they'll do a bone graft. And, uh, they expect 100% recovery. Uh, nothing's for certain, but with the advances in medicine and doc, what doctors can do today, it's amazing that they can keep my leg through an injury like I experienced. So I thank God for that. Uh, I told him yesterday, if I start crying, y'all just cry with me and we'll try to get a lot of drugs have been through my body over the last couple of weeks and it makes me a little emotional sometimes, so... If I start crying, just excuse me and we'll get through it and keep going. I want to ask you to take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to continue the thoughts we looked at yesterday and develop them a little more. There'll be a little review so if you were here yesterday, just hold on, but we've got some new stuff coming too. I want to read Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 20, and I'd also like this to be my prayer as I open up this morning. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. This is a very precious passage of scripture for me. About nine or ten years ago, I was teaching through the book of Ephesians, and when I got to this prayer, it just, it just made me stop and, and really, really evaluate what, what I thought of scripture and what I knew of scripture and Every commentary I read, the study guide, everything I read on this passage of Scripture just wouldn't satisfy me. Paul was praying for the church that they would come into a deeper understanding that apparently he understood. And I couldn't help but wonder if, like this church in Ephesus, maybe I was not, uh, maybe my eyes had not been opened to this understanding. So the more I tried to study it and the more I started praying this prayer over my own life, the more I realized there's more to Scripture than what I understand. 
And I got to the point where I was, I just didn't care what anybody else said about this passage of Scripture. I wanted to know what Paul knew. I wanted to know what Paul knew. And he mentions, he, he prays that the eyes of your understanding would be open. And some versions translate that the eyes of your heart. Where's Ken Guth? He leave the building? Uh, where's he at? We were talking last night about our heart and, and, and the difference between knowing something in your head and knowing something in your heart. But he says that the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart would be open. And then he mentions three things, that you would know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the exceeding greatness of his power. Uh, real quick, the hope of his calling. You know most Christians today don't know they have hope. Hope is hope. Uh, we have assurance through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that I have eternal life because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also have hope. And I was, at, I was thinking and praying last night about the message this morning. I, I was thinking about, you know what most Christians hope today is? To get their name put on a building. Or to have a library name after them. The only hope most Christians have today is in this life. And didn't Paul say that if in this life only we have hope, we're of all men most miserable? We have a hope outside this life. My hope is one day to hear the Lord tell me, "Good, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's my hope. That's our hope. And I hope this morning that uh, those of you that are here understand we have a hope. I believe most of you do. But he also talks about the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We have an inheritance out ahead. There's an inheritance. And like Esau, who lost his inheritance, we can lose our inheritance. We can miss out on the inheritance out ahead. And, and if we know what's out, what's out there and what's at stake, it's helped me to, li to live faithful. If we know what's out ahead, if we know what's at stake and what's to be gained, it helps us to stay focused. Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it say of our Lord that, that uh, when he was suffering, it says, for, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He kept his eyes focused for the joy out ahead, and that's what helped him through the suffering. And that's the same thing with us. When we know the joy that's out ahead and the joy that can be ours if we stay faithful to him, it helps us through the trials of life. But I want to look at this third thing that... Uh, Paul's praying for, and, and I think if, if we've missed one, maybe this is it. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead? All of us this morning could probably give testimony to the power of God in our lives. But I wonder this morning... How many of us could stand up and give testimony to the exceeding greatness of God's power? How many of us have experienced that power in our lives? <clears throat> Paul was praying for this church that they would know that type of power. That's the type of power I want to know. That's the type of power I pray all of us would come to understand and come to know. 
What is this power? Well, it says that it was wrought in, he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We're talking about resurrection power. The power of the resurrection. That's the type of power I want to know. Turn with me over to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, Paul, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So this was a theme for Paul. He wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And I hope and pray that that's the desire of all our hearts, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I think we'd probably all agree and say, yes, I'd like to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Well, we need to continue reading. To know Christ in the power of his resurrection, we have to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. You know the goal of every believer should be to die. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The Lord went to the cross, and that's where we should be headed. Paul says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Now, Paul could say that because he came to that place in life. That's not a verse that we can all claim. Not all of us have got there. Paul got there. He said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives through me. That should be the goal of every believer, to come to the place where we've lost our souls, where we've died to self, where our souls have been crucified with Christ, so that Christ is now living through us. Jesus said after his resurrection, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And he said, therefore, go. We're to go. The only way we can carry out the Great Commission is if we go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we try and carry it out in and of our own selves, it's powerless. As we die, you know that I shared the difference between the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the spirit of the resurrected Christ that has all power and all authority in heaven and earth, and that's been given unto us. Uh, Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. If we're out here trying to do this on our own, we're, we're it's powerless. Only when we die to self, we just got to get out of God's way. Let God do it through us. And I really believe if we ever get a hold of this truth, if we ever get a hold of the exceeding greatness of God's power, God will do things we never thought imaginable. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this dying to self. Let's talk about this being crucified with Christ for a minute. We talked about this yesterday. There's four baptisms spoken of in the Bible. We have immersion into, of the Spirit. When we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're baptized into the Spirit. We have the Spirit. 
That's one baptism. First step of obedience for the believer is water baptism. That's when you're leaving the world behind to follow Christ. Uh, John the Baptist speaks of the one that comes after him who baptized you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's fire baptism, which we'll experience at the judgment seat of Christ. We read about in 1 Corinthians 3 when our works are tried by fire and uh, some will be consumed and some will come out as gold and silver and precious stones. That's the baptism by fire. But there's another baptism that most people don't know about. And I call it our Lord's baptism. We won't read it. We read it yesterday. Remember in Matthew 20, when the mother of James and John came to Jesus and asked him that he would allow her two sons to sit on the right hand and on the left hand when he comes into the kingdom. And Jesus said, uh, are they willing to drink the cup and that I drink and are they willing to be baptized with the baptism? Uh, that's my daughter. She's... She loves me. <laughs> are you willing to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, yes, we are. What is that baptism? It's our Lord's death. That baptism is our Lord's death. And with that in mind, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6, which is a passage of Scripture that's often used for water baptism, but I just don't believe it has... I don't believe you can make water baptism fit into this passage of Scripture. Romans 6 and verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Now, this is a, a, a passage of Scripture that's dealing with some believers, not all believers. Those of us that have been, not all of us have been, but those that have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, we uh, by the glory of God the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And that's that power, that's that resurrection power. When we've died to self, when we've been buried with Christ, we're raised again to walk in newness of life and that power of the resurrection. Verse 5, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, that's conditional, that's if, if we have, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's that power of the resurrection. Now connect verse 6 with verse 5. If we've been planted, then our old man is crucified with him. A lot of Christians like to say that our old man's crucified with him just because of our uh, placing our faith in Christ, but that's not what this verse is saying. If we've been planted with him in the likeness of his death, then our old man has been crucified. Not all of us can say that our old man's been crucified. It says, Knowing this, our old man's been crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also 
live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. And if we're dead with Christ, if we've crucified our old man, the second death won't hurt us. He that overcomes will not be hurt of the second death because he's already died. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead as your, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Let's talk about sin and unrighteousness real quick, and then I want to go to the Old Testament. Sin is missing the mark. Uh, In Paul's day, when Paul was writing this letter, there were Jews coming to faith in Christ that felt they had to continue in the law after they got saved. But keeping the law will never accomplish what Christ has accomplished for us. And I'm not dealing with salvation here. See, there's though, there were those that were trying to live out their Christian life through keeping the law, but we can't keep the law. Therefore, they were sinning. See, we think of sin and, and, as, you know, the gross, the, the immorality and, you know, adultery and stealing and lying. We, the, we, that's, we always wish that's sin too. But anything that falls short of Keeping the law is sin. And he says, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Uh, The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Anything that we do outside of the Holy Spirit is unrighteous. You know, we can be in ministry all our lives, but if it's in and of our own selves, it's unrighteousness. And Paul says, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Quit doing what you're doing in the flesh. If you're trying to please God in the flesh, you can't do it. Reckon you also yourselves to be dead under sin. Die to self. And let God do the work through you. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness. Uh, I personally believe that's what God's trying to teach me through my accident. There's nothing I can do for God to please Him with two legs. And maybe through this, maybe maybe I'll learn to allow God to do something through me because I can't do anything for Him. I'm crippled. But God can do something through me if I let Him. And that's what's going to be but turn back to chapter 4. <clears throat> now, I wasn't planning on going here, but we need to look at this. Verse 1, What shall we say that Abraham our father has, as pertaining to the flesh is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory, but not before God. What says the scripture? Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. You know this has nothing to do with salvation. 
Truth of the matter is, the Bible doesn't give us Abraham's salvation experience. He was called out of Ur to Chaldees, and, and we, it just goes from there. When it comes, to, when you get to Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, and he believed it. And it says that it was imputed, it was credited unto him for righteousness. Uh, verse 13 of Romans 4, For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law works wrath, where there's no law, there's no transgression. Therefore it's of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become a father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the, yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. See, when we stand before the Lord one day, we can have all these works that we've done in the flesh, wood, hay, and stubble, burnt right up. But if it's... But if we, through faith, through dying to self and through an act of faith, do what God has called us and is doing through us, it'll be credited to our account as righteousness. It's interesting. Uh, Abraham, you know, God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he had no seed. Well, him and Sarah got together and they came up with a plan. They're going to help God out. I honestly believe that when Abraham went into Hagar, I believe he was trying to do what was right. He was trying to fulfill God's plan in his life. But he was doing it his way. And look what happened. But notice, when Abraham, for all practical purposes, was dead, and Sarah, look what God did through him. That should be the goal. We should, we should strive to be crucified with Christ, to die to self and allow God to do something through us. And when we do it like that, it's credited to our account for righteousness, and that's what's going to be rewarded one day. So uh, we have this baptism, being baptized into Christ, our Lord's baptism, crucif self-crucifixion, dying to self. There's nothing in the New Testament that's not in the Old Testament. Let's go back to the type. Let's talk about the children of Israel for a few minutes. We won't go through all the passages. You know the history. They were saved out of Egypt through the slaying of a Passover lamb. When they came out of Egypt, they had the pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, typifying immersion of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 10. Then they came to the Red Sea, and this is why water baptism is so important, because when they came to the Red Sea, they were stuck. They couldn't go forward until they went through the Red Sea. They couldn't go back because 
the Egyptians and that pillar of fire and the cloud wouldn't let them go. They were stuck. It's so important for a new believer to be baptized. So they went through the Red Sea typifying believers' baptism. When they came through the Red Sea and the Egyptians followed after them, when they came out, the waters came on the Egyptians and the Egyptians drowned. When we go through water baptism, we're dying to the world. We're leaving the world behind to follow Christ. When they came through the Red Sea, their next stop was Mount Sinai, where they received the rules and regulations for entering and living in the kingdom. We have a Mount Sinai, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. We receive the rules and regulations for entering the kingdom, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I believe as soon as you lead someone to faith in Christ and you baptize them, it's time to start teaching them all things whatsoever Christ commanded us. We need to start discipling them in the kingdom, teaching them the rules and the regulations for kingdom living and how to enter into the kingdom. Throughout the wilderness, they were at battle with a group of people called the Amalekites, which is a type of the flesh. They were battling the flesh. When we battle the flesh through the wilderness, they built the tabernacle. The glory of God came down and filled the tabernacle. I believe that points to the filling of the Holy Spirit and God coming down and not just being in us, but fully indwelling us and giving us the power to go into the land. They came up to the promised land and they sent spies in. The spies came back with fruit that they all were able to taste and to eat. They came back with a report telling them how good a land it was. But remember, they, uh, they said, no, we can't do it, and they wanted to go back. But then they got convicted and said, okay, we'll... We'll go in. But what happened when they tried to go in? They were overthrown because they were doing it in the flesh. But 38 years later, under the leadership of Joshua, they came to the Jordan River. And I believe the Jordan River is a type of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot enter Canaan without going through the Jordan. When they passed through the Jordan River, they took 12 stones and put it at the bottom of the river, and then they carried 12 stones and took it up to the other side and made a, 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 an altar, made a, statue, a pillar or, as, a, as a remembrance. And those waters came, and they covered those 12 stones. They were buried but they came out on the other side, planted with Christ in the likeness of his death, but raised again to newness of life. You can't enter Canaan without crossing through the Jordan. Notice when they came out on the other side, you remember the first thing they did? They circumcised everyone. They cut the flesh away. There's no place for the flesh on the other side of the Jordan River. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They cut the flesh off. Turn back with me, if you will, to Joshua chapter 4. 
I'm sorry, chapter 5. <clears throat> when Israel came out of Egypt, they ate the Passover lamb, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Passover. When they came through the Red Sea, they left the world. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. When they came through the Red Sea, they left the world behind. In the wilderness, they ate the manna, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ sent from heaven to this earth. And during their wilderness experience, they fought the Amalekites, type of our flesh. But when they came through the Jordan River, typifying their death to self and res resurrection to newness of life, notice in chapter 5, in verse 11, it said, They did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn the selfsame day, and the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Their diet changed when they came into Canaan. After they came through the Jordan River, they didn't eat the manna anymore. They ate the old corn which is Christ in his resurrection. Jesus said, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it falls to the ground and dies, it comes forth and it brings forth much fruit. Corn is resurrected. Same with Christ. Their diet changed. Now they're knowing, <clears throat> knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Notice they came to uh, a whole new enemy once they entered the land they were facing the giants in the land typifying the principalities and powers in the heavenly places satan and his angels which are our enemies today and think about this for a minute <clears throat> experiencing the greatness exceeding greatness of god's power here these children of israel come out of egypt they come into this promised land and they go Jericho, and God tells them just to march around the wall, blow some trumpets, and walls come tumbling down. That's the kind of power I want to experience. I want to experience that. And that's the, you're not going to experience that type of power until you come through that Jordan River. The battle's the Lord's. We just got to die to self and let him take, give us the victory. They quit eating the manna, they started eating the corn. I wonder how many of us today have been standing on the banks of the Jordan River looking at the kingdom. Maybe we've been eating the fruit, tasting how wonderful it is, and hearing about how wonderful it is, but that's it. You can't enter Canaan without crossing Jordan. How many of us are standing on the banks of the Jordan River? We know about it. We keep looking back and pointing our fingers at everyone that's just crossed the Red Sea and say, boy, we're so much further along than they are. But yet we, ha we still haven't crossed the Jordan we still haven't conquered our flesh. We still haven't died with Christ and crucified ourselves and allowing God 
to do works through us. I wonder today if God's calling us to cross the Jordan. I've shared this with people and people say, oh, well, you'll never reach perfection in this life. And I agree with that. But you can reach a state where you are crucified with Christ. Children of Israel sinned after they crossed the Jordan. But you know what? They Remember when they crossed the Jordan, they were sent in the camp? What did they do immediately? They took care of it. Just because you, when, if, if we're crucified with Christ, it doesn't mean we'll never sin again. But when we sin, we, t- we, take, we don't live in that sin. We die to self. We die to the flesh. And we live for God. I'm scared that uh, a lot of kingdom believers, if you'll allow me to use that expression, are just standing on the banks of the Jordan River, looking at the kingdom, tasting the fruit, enjoying the truths that God's allowed them to see, looking behind them and looking how far ahead they are of everybody else. But if we don't cross the Jordan We're not going to enter Canaan. We've got to die to self. Whosoever will lose his soul shall find it, but whosoever will keep his soul will lose it. If we're holding on, we'll lose it one day. But if we lose it today, we'll find it over there. I don't believe there's anything in this world that's worth losing the kingdom over. It's easy to be distracted. It's easy to hold on. And I tell you, God's showing me things through the course of this accident that I've been holding on to that uh, I never really knew I was holding on to. But God's asking us to give it all up. Completely, 100%, die to self and live for him. Let me close with one verse that has really jumped out at me. Turn back to Romans chapter 1, please. I've been spending a lot of time in Romans. And Romans is one of the hardest books in the New Testament. Hebrews, once you understand the kingdom, Hebrews is a relatively easy book. Romans is pretty tough. But I want you to look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. I read that a few weeks ago after my accident. It broke my heart. Can I call myself a servant of Jesus Christ? Paul says later in this book, whoever you're obeying, that's who your master is. Paul called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. I want to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Called to be an apostle. He knew his calling. He knew what God had called him to do, and God was fulfilling. God was doing his work through him. Do I know my calling? Do I know my place? Is God doing through me what he wants to do through me? Separated unto the gospel of God separated, completely 
leaving behind everything else, just completely separated to the gospel of God. And this, this is the all-inclusive gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto, unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein, that is therein, therein the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith to faith to faith. I want to be a servant of God. I hope, I hope that's the desire of your heart. Is there something you're holding on to? Is there something holding us back from giving it everything? The kingdom has never been so real to me in all my life. It's real. And we've only got one shot. We've got one life. Let's not miss it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Father, I pray that your word is spoken to our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that we would take it seriously. I pray that we would surrender all to you and that we would truly be servants of God. I pray that we would be dead to self so that Christ can live in us and through us in such a way that the exceeding greatness of your power will be manifested in our lives that you would accomplish things through us that we never thought were possible, that people would see something different in us that would draw them to the gospel. That's our prayer this morning. We pray that you be with this conference, pray that you be with every uh, speaker that's going to speak, that the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit would be on each one, that our hearts would be tender and to receive your word, and Father, I pray that this conference would have everlasting fruit, that, that our lives would be changed. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for being here this morning.